Welcome to the sermon podcast of Resurrection Community Church in Virginia Beach. We seek to connect people to God and one another through His Word, and hope this sermon brings you closer to God. So this morning we'll be hearing God's Word from Acts chapter 21, verses 27, uh, verse 27 through chapter 22, verse 29. So it's a little bit, it's a little bit long, but it's kind of a complete story. Um, if you were here three weeks ago, uh, you might remember we started talking about this kind of, really what's the final section of the book of Acts that is going to run for about nine chapters. But it's the story of Paul going to Jerusalem and then ultimately from Jerusalem going on to Rome. He gets a, he's about to get arrested in Jerusalem in today's story. And so last time uh, we were in Acts, three weeks ago, the last time I was here, we saw the, the kind of introduction to this story. Paul was set to go to Jerusalem and we saw him walking wisely into danger. He knew it was dangerous. He knew bad things were going to happen. He had been warned that bad things were going to happen. And as he got there, he walked wisely. And at the advice of James and the other elders in Jerusalem, Paul had had made an effort for a kind of a show of peace to the, the Jews in Jerusalem who were concerned about his law following and concerned that he was teaching people, he was teaching Gentiles that they didn't need to be Jewish. And he was bringing them in without any concern for the Old Testament law. And Paul had actually paid the expenses for some men to take a vow, a ritual ceremony. And that's where our story picks up. This was, this was supposed to make it so that the, um, that the Jews in Jerusalem would be not upset about Paul. James had even said to him, uh, then thus all will know there is nothing in what they've been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. And what we'll see today, to put it bluntly, is that it, it didn't work. Uh, it was supposed to be a, a measure of peace, and it, it did not work. But in that, we will see for ourselves, what does it look like to walk in a time of turmoil and to stay focused on God's truth and God's person in a time of turmoil? So let's hear God's words from Acts chapter 21, starting at verse 27. When the seven days were almost completed... The Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him. That's on Paul. Crying out, men of Israel, help. This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city. And they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people followed, crying out, Away with him! As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, May I say something to you? And he said, Do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, 
a citizen of no obscure city, I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in Hebrew language, saying, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus, and there you'll be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me. And standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Up to this word they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, Yes. The tribune answered, I bought the citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, But I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love, for all your blessings to us. We pray now that you would speak to us through your word. This word that was written so long ago that you would show us what it means for us today. 
Show us what it means to follow you today and learn from your word. Would it not simply be information for our heads, but transformation for our hearts? In Jesus' name, amen. Um, on Friday, uh, the actor, Chadwick Boseman, died. Um, and depending on your familiarity with movies or who your friends are on social media and that kind of thing, you may or may not have been aware of it, but my Facebook feed was lit up with tributes to Chadwick Boseman. Um, if you don't know who he is, Chadwick Boseman, his most famous role was as King T'Challa in Black Panther. That was the, the Marvel movie that made him worldwide famous. But before that, he had, also, um, he had also played the role of Thurgood Marshall in Marshall of Jackie Robinson in 42. He had played a lot of iconic roles. And from all the tributes to him, from those who actually knew him, he was also just an all-around really good guy. But it makes you reflect a little bit still as you see all these tributes pouring out to a man, from, mostly from people who didn't know him, who had never met him. He was, he was an actor. And so there is, a, there is a strong sense, especially beyond those that were the personal tributes, that the tributes were not just to the man, but, but to the actor, to the characters that he portrayed. And it makes you wonder, what is it about Black Panther, about King T'Challa that grips us so much that when we see this actor die, that it would lead to legitimate mourning and tears. But there's something, if you haven't seen, if you haven't seen Black Panther, it's, side note, this is, this is not a word from the Lord, but just a word from Jimmy. Everybody really should see Black Panther. It's a fantastic movie. But if you haven't seen the movie, uh, one of the things, Black Panther, it's, it's a superhero movie, and the Black Panther, King T'Challa, uh, he has a panther suit that makes him basically invincible, but he is the king of Wakanda, the African nation of Wakanda that is this secret African nation that is thought by the world to be poor and just subsistence agriculture, but is in fact the most technologically advanced nation in the whole earth and has weapons that are unstoppable. And so King T'Challa is basically an unstoppable force. He has armor that cannot be beaten. He rules a nation that has weapons beyond compare. They just remain hidden and not out to the world. But so he walks, he walks with power through the world. He can walk into danger, he can walk into battle. He knows he has his armor, he has, the, he has the might of his nation behind him, a great nation of warriors. And this has such a deep appeal to us as people. We love superheroes, we love seeing these, these people of power and might. And yet, and that, that, that is good, that is right, that is something that God put in us. And yet our daily reality is not that. And we find ourselves in the daily reality. Instead, we find ourselves in times of turmoil. Even here in our passage today, Paul, you know, Paul is not the Black Panther. Uh, he doesn't have the armor, but, but still Paul is striding through this scene in power. He is doing what is right. He is walking with humility. The crowd comes after him, and yet he needs to be rescued from the Roman soldiers. And then he turns around from the t as they're taking him up into their fortress, and he turns and says, no, 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 let me talk to the crowd. And then the soldiers, the Roman occupying soldiers, after that talk to the crowd doesn't go well. They take him in, and they're about to flog him. He's like, no, 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 I'm a Roman citizen. You can't, you can't do this. Paul is in control. And so we look, at, we look at Black Panther on the movie screen, we look at Paul here in the Bible and say, but that's not me. When I'm faced with crowds who are attacking me, 
I don't walk with that confidence. In fact, it doesn't even take a crowd attacking me. I don't have that kind of confidence when one person says something mean to me or when somebody makes fun of me or somebody's mad at me. Or sometimes we even find ourselves not in the position of Paul attacked by the crowd, but in the position of the crowd, getting angry about things that are happening and angry really without reason and without justification. And so we wonder, who, how can we be the people that we want to be? And here in Acts, we not only see Paul striding through this scene in power, but we also see the secret of Paul's power. For the secret of Paul's power here is not the secret of vibranium, the metal that Black Panther uses for his suit. It is not the secret of being a superhero, of having an armory of great weapons. The secret of Paul's power is that he has been transformed by God. The great truth of this passage for us is that God transforms his people. It's what Luke centers here in this narrative. If you look at Luke, the author of Acts, if you think of this as a story, there's the introduction, the lead up, where Paul gets arrested or gets taken by the crowd. They, they stir up against him. And then there's the conclusion where he goes into the barracks in the interaction with the Roman citizen or the Roman tribune, as, where he talks about being a citizen. But right in the middle, what, where Luke wants us to focus is Paul's story of his transformation, his defense to the crowd that he makes them, where he tells the story of being on the road to the Damas D Damascus and hearing Jesus for himself and how he went from somebody who was a persecutor of the church, an opponent of God himself, an opponent of Jesus, to a fervent follower of Jesus. Because that is the truth that Luke wants us to see. That is the truth that God has for us this morning, that God transforms his people. And we embrace, when we embrace God's transformation of his people, then we can walk in the power of that transformation. And we can see here as we look at it more carefully, once we grasp the main idea, the main focus here is that God transforms his people, then we can see three aspects of what that transformed life looks like. But it all comes from God's transformation. God's work comes first. We see that in the way that Paul tells this story. When you see, if you look at verse, uh, if, look at verse 14. And he said, the God of our father, this is Ananias speaking to Paul after Paul was blinded on the road to Damascus. He said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will. The God of our fathers appointed you. This is God's move, God's choice. God grabbed hold of Paul and said, I'm going to use you. And God grabs hold of all of his people. He transforms all of his people into his servants. He takes us from being his enemies to his servants so that we can walk in that transformation. So what does that look like to walk in that transformation? We see here from Paul's example, three things. It looks like leading with humility. Not, not leading as in a leadership sense, but beginning with humility. So you lead with humility. It looks like leveraging your rights. We see Paul do that as well. But most importantly, it looks like proclaiming God's work. Lead with humility, we leverage our rights, and we proclaim his work. Now, in all of this, it's important to realize just in understanding the, the Bible well that while we're talking about Paul's example here, none of us, none of us are Paul, right? None of us have been called like Paul. To none of us, as far as I know, does God speak like Paul, uh, directly giving us directions to go from here to here to the next place. So it's, hard, it's a little bit hard, a little bit tricky to go from, oh, this is who Paul is and what God did for Paul. Therefore, 
for us. And I wouldn't want to say he does all these things for each of us individually, but he does do these things for us as a community. So God's call to Paul to proclaim his word, to plant churches all around the Mediterranean, is his call to all of us collectively. And so as we think about what this transformed life looks like, it's our community transformed life. What does it look like to be transformed as a community? And then each of us can ask, what does it mean to be my particular role within that community? So first, to lead with humility. If we look at, uh, it, we see this throughout Paul's speech, the way that he leads with humility. But even before that, the fact that he was making a, a gesture of peace by going for this sacrifice in the temple. He was there as an act of peace. And then in humility, when he responds to them, think about the situation that Paul has found himself in. He has been grabbed by a mob that has accused him falsely of something he did not do. He did not take Trophimus the Ephesian into the temple. That would not have been the right thing to do. Back in, in those days, the temple, there was a big plaza. It was called the Court of the Gentiles. There was a big open area on the temp Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And that was like, it was like a marketplace. It was like the town square. Like anybody could go in there. But beyond that was what was known as the courts of the Israelites, the temple proper. And there were these stones. They've actually found the stones, like archaeologically found, the inscriptive stones that say, Don't, you cannot go past here. Your death is your own, on your own head if you go past these stones not being an Israelite. So Paul had gone into that area of the temple to make the vows, to make the payment. He would not have brought Gentiles in there. And so he was being accused falsely. And yet in his, in his defense, if I was making a defense, that would be the first thing I would say. Like, dude, I didn't do this. I might even get angry. You jumped the gun. You, 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 you jumped and you jumped to conclusions and we would assert our own righteousness and our own rightness. But Paul leads with humilities, with humility. First, he addressed them in the Hebrew language. Verse 20, chapter 22, verse 2. When they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. That's the Hebrew dialect, Aramaic, the language that, that the Jews generally spoke amongst themselves, but not Greek, the, lang the common language of the time. He addresses, Paul was fluent in either one. He addresses them respectfully in their language. All right, well, listen. And then he starts off, verse 3, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. This is a crowd that has, uh, is trying to kill him unjustly. And yet he acknowledges their zeal for the law of God. And he credits it to them. He's leading with humility, with bridge building. And then he goes on to talk about his own story. Yes, I get it. I was like you. I was persecuting the church. I thought it was the right thing to do. And even when he goes down to talk about Ananias in verse 12, one Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, He's putting himself in their shoes. And so this is what it looks like to lead with humility. It looks like recognizing where we come from. We are not a perfect people by any stretch, either individually or as a community, and being open and honest about that. And then it means treating people with respect, giving them the benefit of the doubt, building bridges of connection with them, 
saying, yes, I'm, I'm like you. We're like you. You are welcome here. You are welcome with me. I want to listen to you. I want to understand you. I want to be with you because we're all coming for the same place. Who I am now to whatever righteousness I have is not because I'm fundamentally better. It's because God has changed me. God has transformed me. So how do we get to the point that we can walk with this kind of humility? I mean, we see in the crowd the opposite of the humility, right? We see them reacting in fear, reacting in anger, reacting in a rush to judgment. But it's that fear really that is the key. If we can walk away from the fear of what will happen and walk into the power, the faith in who God is and the power that we have. If we go back, if we go back to Black Panther, King T'Challa, why can he walk? He can stride through his movies with such confidence because he knows what he's got behind him. He knows the power of Wakanda. He knows the power of his armor. And so he can walk through as this legendary, mythical creature, and he can walk humbly. One of the things that we love about him as a character on the screen is that he is not a proud and arrogant guy. He walks with confidence and humility because he has power behind him. As Christians, we have the power of God behind us. God is with us. What does it matter who is against us? And that allows us to face even situations of turmoil, even situations of unjust accusation, and to respond with humility and bridge building and opening ourselves up rather than fear and aggression. So this morning, you may be coming at this from, from two different places. You may be here this morning, and you may actually see more of yourself in the crowd, of feeling like you're, you're, you get angry at things quickly. You jump to conclusions. You may even feel in the crowd. The other thing about this crowd is that there's, a, there's an aspect of racism in this crowd. What, what really set them off? Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. But Paul does not start off with, y'all are a bunch of rotten racists. That's, I mean, that's what I might do. That's what our culture would do, parts of our culture. But this morning, if you're here to say, man, I, I get angry easily. I jump to conclusions. Maybe I'm even a racist. You are welcome here. This is a place for people to come together, for people to come and be transformed. To be welcome. So we all are. We are all coming from those kinds of places. And yet we are all being transformed from being like the crowd to being like Paul. To people who can say, yes, I was this way, but I no longer walk in it. And now I respond to others with humility and grace. Maybe you're there and you're saying, no, you know what? I, I'm, not, I'm not feeling that I'm such a bad person or that I'm not enough or that I'm jumping to conclusions, but I need a little humility. I need a little more humility in my life in the way that I interact with others. And that comes from finding our confidence and our hope in God. Reminding ourselves constantly of God's love for us, that God will care for us and we have nothing to fear. And then we can lead with humility. Once we lead with humility, that puts us in the position to then leverage our rights. We have to get those in the right order. If we start by standing up for our rights, but without humility, things tend to go haywire. If Paul had responded violently to the crowd, it just would have spiraled into violence. But once he has demonstrated his humility to the crowd and to the Roman centurions, then when they get ready to flog him, because that's just what they do, I don't know what's going on, they say, well, let's flog him to find out the truth. Like, really? This is, not, this is not righteous government that Paul is looking at. It's not like, 
completely evil, oppressive government right now. They did rescue Paul from the crowd, but they're just, they're government. It's, it's what they do. They're trying to maintain peace, and if they have to maintain peace with a whip, they maintain peace with a whip. And so they get ready to flog Paul, but that was not allowed. Roman citizens, kind of like American citizens, had a lot of privileges and rights. Most of the people in the empire were not citizens, and they kind of do what they want to them. But Paul said, no, 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 I'm a citizen. You cannot flog me. You have to put me on a regular trial. Like, you got to treat me right here. And he asserts his rights. And here Paul is asserting his rights for his own benefit, for his own protection. And it, it teaches us that as the people of God, as we walk with humility, in whatever place we've been put, the rights that we have, we, we can assert those rights for our own protection. It is right to stand up in the face of injustice, whether that injustice is happening to us or to other people. We can leverage our rights on other people's behalf too. Say, this is not right. And as, as citizens in the United States, we have been blessed with a lot of rights. And we can use them. We can use them for good. We can use our rights to vote. We can use our rights to protest. We can use our rights to write to our representatives to seek righteousness, to seek justice, to seek goodness. And we should. Now, I can't, I can't stand up here and tell you exactly what that looks like. I can't tell you who to vote for. The Bible doesn't tell me who to vote for. Even in our quarterly community chat, we'll talk a little bit more about politics. I still won't tell you then who to vote for because the Bible still doesn't say. But it does say that we can use our rights for protection of ourselves, for love for other people, for the cause of justice. And this is, and we see examples of this even in the history of the, of the United States. Uh, Friday was, I had already mentioned the day Chadwick Boseman died. Friday was also the 50 seventh anniversary. It was 1963. Friday was the 57th anniversary of the March on Washington when Martin Luther King gave this famous I Have a Dream speech. And I was, I was telling Suzanne yesterday, for, for a preacher, reading the I Have a Dream speech is just like, I mean, it is just an amazing example of rhetoric. Um, and of course, the most famous part is the, the soaring section at the end of I Have a Dream of My Children and the hills of California, the hills of the Rockies, and he goes through the U.S. and justice rolls down and he's quoting the bible and all this but early on in that speech what really set the theme for the march on washington is he said in a sense we have come to the nation our nation's capital to cash a check to demand justice and that was really the core of king's speech that day is that there is a check that was owed to african americans through the declaration of independence through the emancipation proclamation a check that said all men are created equal. All men have the rights in, but, uh, under the law. And they were not experiencing those rights. And it was right for King that day to say that, to assert his rights, to say we are owed equal treatment. And it is, it is, we have come this day to our nation's capital to cash a check. And so we too, as Christians, as a community, as an individuals, we can use the rights that God has given. Not only we can use, we ought to use. If we lead with humility, and then we leverage our rights for justice, justice for ourselves, justice for other people, because we see all people, all people, first all people in our church community, and then all people in our wider nation, they're, they're all one of us. And so when we see people suffering injustice, it is right to use our rights to stand up for that, just as Paul did. But as we lead with humility, as we leverage our rights, we cannot lose focus 
of the central part of this passage. Because the center of it is Paul's speech. This is, the, the levering rights is fascinating and important. It's not the first time he's done that. The humility is critical. But the center of it is his speech. And think about this again. I said this was a little bit of a strange defense. He doesn't really defend himself. I mean, Luke says it's at chapter 22, verse 1. Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. But never once does he say, I didn't bring Trophimus into the, into the temple like you said I did. Never once does he even say, hey, I'm not trying to stop Jews from following the law. I'm not doing the things you're afraid about. Instead, he turns the focus to God. Paul is here carrying out the mission that he describes. He has been given this mission to proclaim God's work. Again, back to verse 14, 22, 14. He said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And then again, down in uh, uh, verse 18, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. Down to verse 21, he said to me, go for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Paul keeps the focus on proclaiming God's word, even in the midst of turmoil, even in the midst of a uh, threat to his life, of a riot in front of him, even as he leads with humility, he leverages his right. His main focus here and everywhere is to proclaim God's work. He is proclaiming God's work that he himself has been transformed, that this is a God who comes to know his people personally. This is the core of God's message his work in our lives, that because Jesus sacrificed him for himself for us, he comes to Paul in personal relationship. Verse 8, or verse 7, I fell to the ground, heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? As Jesus identifies with his people, the church that Paul is persecuting. I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And then go and tell how God has changed you. Appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. This is our privilege as God's people. that We are transformed by him. And now here in worship, Sunday after Sunday, we get to hear God's voice from his word in the Bible. We get to gather together. We get to be fed by him with his very body and blood. We get to worship and sing songs and come into the presence of God together. And as a community, we get to proclaim his transformation of us as a community where God is taking all kinds of different people from all kinds of different background, backgrounds. I love when I'm away from here, when I'm talking to other people, I love telling people about our church, about our resurrection community. I love telling people about where each of you have come from and all the different people that God has brought together from all kinds of different places. Really, there is a very strong sense in which no two of you here come from the same place. We all come from very different places and backgrounds, but God is bringing us together to be a transformed community. And as a community then, we get to enjoy that. We enjoy his presence in worship. We enjoy connection and relationship with him but we also have a calling and a responsibility to proclaim that to other people. And so for each one of us, if that is our job as a community, to extend this connection with God and with others to those others in Virginia Beach, those we know and love, our friends and neighbors, 
That's our responsibility as a community. The question for each of us is what role do we play in that? What is my role in reaching out to other people? Maybe it's as simple as inviting somebody to come and check out this community. Maybe it's sharing with somebody what God has done in your life. That doesn't have to be a big and scary thing. Sometimes it's just a matter of, of being normal. How was your weekend? Church was great on Sunday. I felt the presence of God there. It was great to see the people that I'm connected with. In a time of isolation and confusion and uncertainty, to share the hope of a solid rock, a community of people to work with, founded on the, on the word of God, the hope of his spirit working in us, the power of Jesus' resurrection. We have so much to offer to the world. So this morning, if you're thinking, I do not, I'm not feeling this. I am not, I am not experiencing the power of God in my life. I would invite you to, to learn more, to offer yourself up to him. Say, Jesus, I want more of you. I know I don't, I'm not perfect. I know I've done wrong. I know I can't do this on my own. I need your help. And if you've put your faith in him, if you trust him, if you're part of this community, if you're already walking together, think, what is it that we can do to expand, to, to reach out to other people, to proclaim his work, to share his transformation of my life, of our community life, to share God's good news and his hope for the world with other people? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love. We thank you that what you did so long ago through the life of your servant, Paul, you continue to do today through your church. Would you transform each of us individually, transform us as a community to be your people, to be a light for you, to proclaim your work, your work of transformation, even in the midst of turmoil and challenge. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from Resurrection Community Church. To learn more about our church and how you can connect with God and others, please visit resurrectionvb.org.